Hello, everyone out there in the podcast world. This is Father Christian at A Priest and a Rabbi. And of course, I'm just half of the show. The other half is the best looking rabbi this side of the Jordan River. It is Rabbi Matthew Durbin from Temple Beth Chaim. And uh, Rabbi Durbin, what's happened, man? Welcome back for our 428th show, it feels like, but it's probably 150 or something. Yeah, something about there. It's, it's, it's been a lot. You know, I want to say- I spend more time with you than I do with anyone else. Except your wife and kids. Recently, it's been more you than, than my you wife. You are a family man when it comes down to it. You, you, you are so family. You inspire me to be a better family man. So I, I look up to how, how good of a father you are to your three daughters. You're a wonderful husband. Rose calls me all the time just to tell me, like, can you give Matthew some advice? I'm like, listen, Matthew, I call him for advice. So you got to have him call someone else. Uh, I'm kidding. She's never called me before. Uh, all right, man. So listed today, uh, uh, at the time of the recording of this podcast, uh, tomorrow is going to be Juneteenth. Um, the first time as a federal holiday it has been a state holiday before. Um, why? Because I learned that from our guest. Our guest is um, Reverend Kathy Walker. So she has come on. She is the missioner for Black Ministries in the Diocese of North Carolina, the Episcopal Diocese of North Carolina. Um, and so, oh, wait a minute. She just walked in. Reverend Kathy, hey, what's going on? Well, good morning. How are you? Very well. I'm, uh, we're, we are an open book and so ready to learn from you. Uh, today uh, to learn more about Juneteenth, I'm going to put it out there. I will admit, uh, I and I this is this is embarrassing, uh, and it, it is my sin that uh, Juneteenth is a new new thing for me in the last two years, um, as along with a lot of other things um, such as the Tulsa massacre. Uh, so I uh, want to be filled up and uh, and humbled, and um, I'm excited to have you on here to really for us to parse out. What does Juneteenth mean for us as people of faith, as Jews, as Christians? What does scripture say about this? Um, now that our federal government has said something about it, um, but this is nothing new because this has been a celebration that's been happening from the get-go. Um, and so I'm, we, we are just, we're very, we're, we're very excited to have you here and to parse this out. Well, thank you. It's really great to be here. On your, on, your, on, on your scale of one to 10 of nervousness, when I called you to come on this podcast, knowing how much of a nut that I am, um, and, and you worried about maybe losing your job by coming on a show with Christian Anderson, one to 10, 10 very nervous, one no nervous, where were you? Oh, probably about a 22. <laughs> see, see, it's true. But we have that. Thank God for Matthew Durbin, because Rabbi Durbin is the calming force on the show, and he is a true professional. Uh, all right, friends, uh, we are going to get to blast off. Enjoy. Please subscribe to this podcast. You can do that by uh, just hitting the subscribe button. That usually works, but uh, it depends on which platform you're on. Leave a comment because we love to know your comments as well, even if you hate us, because your hate mail actually helps our analytics. So just like Cardi B, we love our haters. All right, everyone. God bless you. Enjoy this podcast. We'll see you on the flip side. Present WSTU, since they probably regretted over allowing the show on the air in the first place. Nor do they represent Temple Bay Hayam or St. Mary's Episcopal Church, since they also wonder what the heck they did when they called these two men to lead their respective congregations. On that note, sit back, 
relax, grab your Bible or Torah, and enjoy another episode of A Priest and a Rabbi. Good morning, Stuart, Florida. This is Father Christian from St. Mary's Episcopal Church, and next to me is the best-looking rabbi you've seen this side of the Jordan River. It is Matthew Durbin from Temple Beth Hayam. Together, we make either the worst idea that you've seen in Martin County or the best idea. It is a priest and a rabbi getting together every Friday morning to talk life, to talk faith. And today we'll be talking Juneteenth. We're talking about the biblical backing and support um, and just where Juneteenth is rooted in um, the history of our Lord and the movement of our Lord yesterday, today, and tomorrow. Um, and so tomorrow is Juneteenth. And so as a priest and a rabbi do, um, what does the Bible have to say about it? And how is God liberating us uh, all uh, today so we can continue to move into that, uh, his, his image he gave us in Genesis that uh, we were all created by his hands and all equal. Um, so Rabbi Durbin, um, how are you, brother? Are you ready for the show? We have an incredible guest. I'm really excited for her. I am. You know, I'm 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 really excited. I I mean I was I was very thrilled yesterday to see, you know, this this proposal we put to the law and uh, you know that we get to celebrate, you know, amongst all 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 of our all of God's creatures. I, I'm super excited. So well, I'm really excited have- that Go, uh, that well, that people can hear Rabbi Durbin speaking through a tin can, and that's because we still need to get him a microphone. So, if anyone wants to sponsor Rabbi Durbin's new microphone, um, you can you can get us at a priest and a rabbi podcast at gmail.com. Just email us, I want to support. Uh, you can call here at the show 220-9788. That's 772 on your FM dial, 772-220-9788. We're also streaming live right now on Facebook. So if you go onto our Facebook page, A Priest and a Rabbi podcast, you you yourself can see us if you've never seen what we look like. And you can come on here and leave comments. We'll bring your questions on air. Um, and then you can also see the smiling face of our wonderful producer, Evan Nine. You know him as the voice of the, uh, of, of the Mets affiliate here in um in, in Southeast Florida. All right, so let, let's, let's, let's stop talking less and let's get our guest on here because she is 10 times smarter than we are. Uh, it is Reverend Kathy Walker, who is the missioner for Black Ministries out of the Diocese of North Carolina. She is an Episcopal priest. Um, she is a fellow colleague of, of mine. We actually went to school together at Virginia Theological Seminary. Uh, and then she uh, left the Diocese of Southeast Florida to spread her wings. And she, wow, did they, uh, was Diocese of North Carolina fortunate to have her because uh, that is a diocese also that uh, raised up our presiding bishop. You all might know him as the, the uh, royal wedding uh, preacher, uh, Bishop Michael Curry. Uh, Reverend Kathy has started a podcast uh, that is still being edited and formulated, but she had the pilot episode with Bishop Curry and somehow uh, thought it'd be a good idea to bring me on there as well. Um, so now, now that... <laughs> and now that we had this relationship, it was uh, easy to kind of sway her to come over onto ours. Um, so Reverend Kathy, it is so wonderful to missioner, Reverend Missioner Kathy Walker. It is great to have you here on the show of a priest and a rabbi. Thanks for taking time to be with us today. Well, thank you so much for this great invitation. It's wonderful to be here. <laughs> so I Reverend Kathy. I'm my chips so fast, but. that's right um so reverend kathy you let's let's talk a little bit about you so uh you before this position of being a a missionary for black ministries 
you were a parish priest, right? Just I was. And so I served as an associate rector in the Diocese of Florida before coming to North Carolina. I was at St. John's Episcopal Church in Tallahassee. Woohoo! And that was a <laughs> great parish. And uh, I was very fortunate and very um, happy to serve there. And thought I'd be there a little longer than I was, but God had other ideas. And so and so I moved to Raleigh um, five weeks before COVID hit uh, last year. And uh, that so it was an interesting year. It was a great way to get to know people through Zoom. <laughs> mm. While well, I was stuck at home for almost, you know, 14 months. <laughs> and when you came into uh, this new call, uh, was it already a position already set up and you were just stepping in or you do, was this something you were creating? So the, it's a newly created position. Um, and um, I remember seeing the uh, job description. I kind of laughed because um, I think it was like four pages long. And I was like, oh, my goodness, there's there's a lot associated with this. But somehow um, my spirit just felt like this was really also God's work. Um, and looking at um, the black congregations throughout the Diocese of North Carolina, trying to figure out how do we lift them up? How do we celebrate them, um, you know, in a diocese that has had some mixed responses to to its black uh, parishioners through over over, you know, throughout history. Um, so some of these churches have came into existence, you know, right at, as the Emancipation Proclamation was being signed and the and the oncoming of uh, the advent of Jim Crow laws. And so in some of our parishes, you'll see that um, white people and black people worship together during, you know, during the period of enslavement. I mean, you know, in the same space, I shouldn't say together. I don't want to make it sound like it was an integrated situation. It was just that, you know, um, but they were in the same church and they worshiped at the same time. Um, but when Jim Crow laws began, uh, segregation was the law of the land or the law of the South, right? And so uh, suddenly these people could not even be in the same places. And so you saw churches being, black churches being erected all over the place. Um, so they, their history go, is long and deep and fraught with um, challenges. And so it's a, how, do we, how do we do this reckoning and do this work of reconciliation? And so part of it is let, allowing all of this to kind of bubble up as it will so that we can make changes. We had a show, Reverend Kathy, a while ago about how to build, or we approach the topic, I think it was Sandra Montes who came on, you, you probably know Sandra. Know Sandra. How do you approach multicultural ministry? Um, because I don't know if that's part of the work that you do, and we probably have to bring you back to talk about this topic, uh, but is part of the work that you do, is there a goal of saying, can we get back to a place where we're integrated worship and and being able to celebrate and worship God together and feel comfortable with it? Or is that not really the goal? The goal is more reconciliation first. Can we just have some of these conversations about the deep wounds that are still in our churches? We can still worship in separate places. The black church, the white church is fine, but they're still, we need to take care of the wounds first before we can ever have this godlike view of blacks and whites worshiping together hand in hand and celebrating all of our cultural differences, et cetera, et cetera. So there are a couple of ways to look at that. I think that um, you, you're going to, you already have multicultural churches and you had reasonable success or not such success or some failures with that within that context, partially because we haven't finished doing the work, right? And so we haven't talked about what that means and, it, and not just what it meant, you know, 200 years ago. What does that mean 
in contemporary times, um, because there has to be a willingness to share some of share the power. And so um, unless we can really talk about that and what that's going to look like, um, it's going to be difficult to for everybody to feel comfortable in that multicultural setting. Um, but organically, those are going to happen anyway, um, as neighborhoods change as people, you know, people intermarry. So you're going to have um, uh, many, many possibilities. But at the same time, it doesn't mean that if I if I want to remain in a black um, centric church, that 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 means that um, I, there's an unwillingness, or you know, to really um, integrate with others. That that's not really the, the, the thought and idea behind that. It's really about um, if you think about Pentecost and how do I receive how do I receive God's word in my own language, as it were? Um, the black church gives people an opportunity for those people who are still trying to hear the mm. gospel in their own language, in their yeah. own musical styles and settings. And so do I have to give that up to move into a multicultural that's setting? Good. And that's so, good. Yeah. Oh, that's good, Reverend Kathy. Uh, <laughs> and, and Rabbi Durbin knows a lot about Pentecost since we took that from the Jews. That's since right. Pentecost was a Jewish, Jewish, was a Jewish holiday. It's the what, 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 what didn't what didn't the Western religious world take from us? <laughs> we, we didn't take it from you. We just you know you were the foundation. You you guys are the OG. You're the you're the original ones, man. But sure. I also think I also think you know given the context of the conversation, I think it's also really important for us, whether we're uh, you know Jews, Christians, Muslims. I mean, I think it's important that we understand, especially biblically, that the Bible has always always opposed. Slavery has always opposed the ability for human beings to enslave others. It has always been, um, uh, you know, the Bible has always had sensitive and, and very empathetic understandings of human dignity and freedom as an essential human right. So the Bible has always opposed positions and abuses of power. Can you always can you say always though because we you, you, we're, since we're focusing on Juneteenth here and looking at it as a faith where or where scripture and where God is involved in it, um, this is and you might know this better than I do and Reverend Kathy you probably definitely knows better than I do but does there were pastors and churches that used the Bible to support slavery. Right. And I know they're probably cherry picking verses and I haven't done enough research in that area. But are there are there places in our scripture that you can say, like, well, was was Yahweh saying it's OK to enslave people? So that's why I'm challenging. Is, is it true to say that it always was against it or is there a different context the way that we know that in the in the, in the Christian scripture? When we're looking at slave, the way that you look at a slave and sometimes in a Roman or in some of these different communities, a lot different than how you would see a slave in, in 19th or 18th century, uh, you know, America. In, well, I mean, it's interesting because you use it, we, 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 you know, we talked about it last week regarding the Jubilee year. Right. right? In, in, in our context, and certainly in a Hebrew context, a Hebrew, Hebrew biblical context, you know, we make it clear after X amount of years, you know, all debts are to be released and all slaves are to be released of their of their ownership. So that there's something there that says we recognize the challenges in our own society. Do everyone comply with it? That's the question. Exactly. And I think um, in our context, also, Christian, you'll see that um, a lot of people have you know, there, there's a lot of um, wrestle with uh, the Apostle Paul and, and his writings 
um, particularly because he was one of those who talked about, um, you know, how Jews should just be, I mean, not Jews, I'm sorry, how slaves should be benevolent, right, to their masters, and you should simply obey and all of that. And you do have um, stories that you will hear um, uh, where people said, uh, Howard Thurman tells the story of his grandmother never wanting to hear um, him read the, to her from anything written by Paul because she felt that, um, you know, when the, the masters came and they would always talk about, remember what Paul said, you know, obey your master, you know, whatever the master does to you, accept it, and this is God's will and all of that. So surely there are places in the Bible where people have, are still trying to figure out what is this text really saying? And, um, you know, should we just crucify Paul? No, um, but, but, but how do we go back now and reinterpret some of this? Yeah, Paul, Paul for me is, 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 is a tough cookie just yeah. because he, he does end up speaking out of both sides of his mouth. I mean, we talks about just the gender issue with male and female. Yes. Uh, in, in some scripture, he's saying women sit in the back of the church, shut up and put, put on a little doily on your head and don't say anything. And then another community he's saying, I have these preachers who are women and basically calling them deacons. Yes. Uh, and so it, it's like he, he's playing to, he knows his audience well. <laughs> Over here, I can be a little more progressive. Over here, no, 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 these guys, I got to be a little more concerned. It's like the Episcopal Church. You got to know what region you're in, you know? Yeah. <laughs> but, uh, so that's why I think that the Paul part is, is um, he, he does, he's not afraid to shake hands sometimes with, with the cultural norms. Sometimes yeah. he'll definitely go against it. He's not afraid to be in prison. Uh, right. before, but uh, other times he's like, the movement is important for me. The movement, this Christian movement, and let's not rattle cages too much sometimes. Mm -hmm. If we put women in the front row, uh, and if we try to completely go against this whole servant slavery thing, I don't know. So, but that, that, that's, uh, so let's, let's get into this. So we now have big day. Uh, President Biden the other day signed in, and now Juneteenth is a federal holiday. Um, let's just start there. Reverend Kathy, what's your take? Why is it taken so long for us to get to this place? Because it's not like someone thought of this was a great idea to start doing this thing called Juneteenth last year. Um, it's been around since the dawn of the celebration of Juneteenth. Uh, but do you think this whole last couple years of the racial reckoning that we've been through is what led us? And without these last two years, we wouldn't be here having a federal holiday of June 19th? Oh, I think it's possible that we wouldn't we wouldn't have gotten here yet. I think Juneteenth was kind of destined to be a holiday at some a national holiday at some point. So Juneteenth has been celebrated in Texas, for instance, as a state holiday since the 70s. And so, um, you know, it's been decades of them recognizing. But I think that as you looked uh, this year, particularly at what has happened, you know, opening up the whole Tulsa um, Centennial this year, and um, so many other places, more and more, you're beginning to uncover or not even uncovered because they're not, they haven't been secret, but to begin to really tell out loud the stories of so many other places and what has happened um, in, in so many communities across the country. But Juneteenth in particular, um, it's been tough to celebrate the Emancipation Proclamation as a day that belonged to January 1st, 1863, which was when it was originally signed as the end of slavery, when in fact we've known for you know, a couple of hundred years that it took two and a half more years before the word was to reach enslaved people in Texas. So mm. we've we've had this conundrum going for, you know, all this time of 
how can we say this is the day that slavery ended when we know that you know the union soldiers had to keep marching across the united states to say let these people go and texas was in no rush no particular rush and so you know and it wasn't like you had the internet and everybody knew ah you know there, there was no ball drop at midnight to say this is the end of slavery uh, it, it really required union soldiers um, moving across the country and insisting that um that the president's order be carried out and that people would be liberated from from slavery and so I think it's been this now this understanding today that um, uh, beginning this year, I mean, I think federal some federal workers actually got today off um, as as the, the celebration. So that's a fast turnaround, right? <laughs> because yeah. It just became a law yesterday, it became a federal holiday yesterday, and they are and they are not working today. Um, but seriously, I think, you know, uh, so 1865 now will be the day I think that we recognize was really the end at least for the first part of enslavement in this country. So let me be honest here that I'll, 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 I'll be straight up here. I did not know about Juneteenth, and this is so embarrassing, um, and really until a couple of years ago. Uh, I don't know if I was taught it in school and I just forgot about it. Um, I didn't know about Tulsa until watching uh, the HBO. comic book movie on, on you know, HBO, um, where that opened up the whole series was Tulsa. Holy cow, terrific, right? And, and so there's these stories. And the thing about Tulsa, too, is that for us, it's, it's not to sit there and just mire in the horror of it, but just, just for us to look to say, uh, there were, there's great history of Black flourishing in America and still the system the systematics that took it down. So these stories are so important for us to know. And it's not just for us to just whip ourselves with guilt, but say, what do we, can we learn from this and heal from this? Um, and so now my hope is that this will hopefully spurn a lot more conversations, but is there a concern and fear where people be like, oh gosh, here we go again. It's a progressive agenda, this Juneteenth thing. Can we just move forward? Can we just move forward? Um, Reverend Kathy, do you see hope that now this is a federal holiday and something that could be maybe celebrated by a lot more folks and be aware of a lot more folks of what this means, that this could be a catalyst for continued reconciliation, continued awareness, uh, continued um, also as people of faith, all three of us are clerics here, that allows the church and the temple to revel in the liberating power of God? Well, I think we uh, we should always revel in the liberation power <laughs> of God. Um, I think that so part of the the idea of telling these stories is not really just for people to either simply celebrate or simply um, lament, because neither one will be productive in the end. It's really what do we do with these stories, right? So it, we know that um, as history as the story according to oral tradition has told us that on the day of Juneteenth, when the Union soldiers showed up in Galveston, Texas, and told the people that they were now free, you know, their, their response to that was to um, have a party, to eat, to, and to pray, to hmm. really go into their churches and to thank God for being liberated from the tyranny of slavery. So, so we have that moment of, of always going back and beginning with thanking God for where we've been and where we're going. And the possibilities now that, um, that are available simply because we have been freed, more you know, mentally freed from this, as well as the physical, you know, um, freeing from, from, a, from a horrible thing of, of slavery. Um, how do we use this? Well, I think like all 
biblical stories, we always have to figure out how do we use this in our context in, in modern day society. Um, and we have to be willing to have the story of what does it mean to have enslaved people anyway, right? And so um, I loved, you know, when the rabbi, we were talking a few minutes ago, and who gets to decide who's emancipated? And what does that mean? And, you know, and I think about the fact that, you know, you see stories sometimes where teenagers can go into court and, and ask to be emancipated from their parents and all of that. Um, and so you have emancipation on many different levels. Um, and so I, even today, I think we could some in some settings here in the United States, we can still make a case for emancipation um, from the tyranny of some of the things that we're going through right at this present time. So how do we use this moment? I think, um, you know, always beginning in prayer and asking God, what does it mean to finally liberate all of us so that we can live in a society where everyone is truly free? And um, and that's going to I think that's the big question for us going forward. You know, it's 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 always been interesting, especially um, you know from a Judaic context. You know, we spoke uh, a little bit offline about it before. You know, just this understanding that certainly as Jews we have the same um, you know understanding regarding emancipation, which was a huge turning point for Jewish history. Uh, and for those that may not be familiar, you know, we we tend not to look at the French example. Uh, which was probably set uh, many years before the German example, but in Germany, you 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 know the German state made it very clear: you've got a choice: either you're a member of the German state, or you're Jewish. There's no there's no both. You got to choose. And when German emancipation happened, what that informed us as Jews is now I can ask previous questions that have been denied to me. I can be a member of the German state and. Uh, you know, embrace my religious identity. Um, you know, we had it in France, we had it in Germany, but of course, all of this goes under the backdrop of, 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 of somebody who told us that we could not practice or to disperse us amongst, you know, the world. And we see that not only in a biblical context with the Egyptians, the ancient Egyptians, right? We see that with the Assyrian empire, not to be confused with the Syrian empire, big difference the Assyrians being the Babylonians, right? We've seen it with the Romans. We've seen it with the Greeks. I mean, we've seen it time and again. But I think what, what really becomes the, the, the crux and, and, and really that pinnacle moment is that certainly for us as Jews, even we go back, you know, prophetically to the prophets, there's always been that belief and that stern understanding that God is with us. God's not going to do the work. Right. We have to do the work to emancipate ourselves, to free ourselves. But in some way, with the strength and the belief in God, anything is possible. Well, I, 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 but wouldn't, wouldn't the Exodus story let us know, though, that when you are obedient to God, he will actually start opening up the doors for you. He will literally part the seas for you to be liberated. He will literally drop the plagues on those who are uh, the ones who are imprisoning to release the prisoner. But the first key is to be like Moses and to be obedient to God's word. And yeah, you have to do the work, absolutely. Um, but uh, not all the work. God is the one who does the work. God is the, because there, there are miracles that happen. Um, and if we look at the Exodus story and as Christians, we look at the liberation of, of, our, of our, from sin that we don't have to be here and be like, I am enslaved to sin. I am enslaved, the sin just controls me. These temptations just control me. False, God is the one who's in control if you choose to put him first 
and I choose to follow you. Uh, and you know, Abraham, Moses, all these great figures, Deborah, Han Hannah, her ability to say, you, God, are the one. You, God, will bring me a child. You are the one. Um, it was, she, so, so there was, God, I, what my point is that supernatural things happen. God will kick down doors literally in part seas. But I think, I think also if we go back to the, you know, there's a very famous Talmudic saying that says, uh, you know, you are not required to complete the work, but neither are you free to desist from it. You got to be part of it. If you're not part of this uh, of the solution, you're part of the problem. No, that's right. You can't. No, sit, sitting by the sidelines is not going to work. And we we that's been a big big part of the discussion over the last year here in the states. That uh, for us just to, and I think all us preachers too, they're like, oh, I don't want to, you know, get people all riled up by saying the wrong thing from the pulpit about race. Well, do you want to sit by the sidelines or get in the mix? All right. So let's take a little quick break, and uh, we're going to hear from our sponsors who are going to sponsor uh, Rabbi Durbin's new microphone. And so when we come back, we're going to go further into this. We've been tapping into the biblical significance of Juneteenth, but what does it mean for us as Americans here in the 21st century, right here in the U.S. of a. How does Juneteenth propel us to follow God in his liberating message um, of freedom, of love, and equality for all? So you're here on A Priest and the Rabbi here with Reverend Kathy Walker, and we'll be right back. Hey everyone, it's Evan Nine, producer of A Priest and a Rabbi. Thank you for tuning in and being part of this community. We love developing new partnerships with this podcast to help further the interfaith movement. To join us, please email Father Christian at yourfavoritechristian at gmail.com. You can have an advertisement right here on this podcast, which is currently heard across the USA and in 34 other countries. Thanks for being here, and do not forget to subscribe on whichever podcast platform you're listening from. Now back to A Priest and a Rabbi. Welcome back to the award-winning Priest and a Rabbi radio show with Father Christian and Rabbi Durbin. Let's get ready for the second half of the show. Okay, okay, everyone. We're back to part two, part two of A Priest and a Rabbi. We're here talking about the biblical significance of Juneteenth. Uh, and the uh, phone calls are flying off the hook because this is such a hot topic right now in Martin County. Crickets crickets all right uh, if you do have a question about juneteenth 772-220-9788 uh we do have reverend kathy walker she is the um missioner for black ministries in the the diocese of north carolina uh and so listen we, we in the first part we talked about the biblical the, the history of god's liberating power um, especially with exodus and with babylon uh and now 
we are, we talked about from a Christian context, what, what Jesus brings is freedom from, from sin, liberating us from the shackles of sin. Uh, but so we have Juneteenth, we have the freedom of those who've been enslaved by, 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 by slavery. Are we there yet though, Reverend Kathy? Are we all free in this, in this country? Because, because I'll tell you, I'll know I'm a white dude. I'll hear from folks to me like, everyone's free. Everyone's equal. We're all good now. Everything's fine. Just work hard. Pick yourself up by your bootstraps. Protestant work ethic. You're good. So I have a, 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 a rabbi here who's, uh, who's Jewish. There's probably about five of you in Martin County, uh, you know, Jews. And so what it's like to be a part of a, a minority, that's so not true. There's a lot more than that. But I'm just saying what it's like to be a minority religion in a predominantly Christian context. And I have Reverend Kathy, who is a black female, um, so you guys tell me, so let me start you with Reverend Kathy. Are we there at a place where everyone is seen as created equal and all of our systems are working for the betterment of all people? Are, are we there? Well, so all the systems aren't quite working just yet. Um, are, do we all believe we're equal? I believe we're equal. Um, how do I convince you that we're all equal? That's the challenge. Um, ah. ah, there's the rub. I think, so here's the, here's one of the big problems, you know, this Protestant work ethic is probably one of the, the worst um, misnomers that we have to overcome. This idea that anybody pulls themselves up by their own bootstraps has always been, it's almost like today's the big lie, right? Because that never happened. So if you think about um, how white people pull themselves up by their own bootstraps, well, let's go back to slavery again and think of all that free labor and all of the, um, and so how that gave an opportunity for one group to really get a big leg up over another group of people. So the idea that the way that people earned wealth in this country from the beginning was off of the backs of other people who, you know, who not only were enslaved, but were um, so badly mistreated and brutalized in order for other people to acquire wealth and, and things. So that pulling yourself up by your own bootstrap is not exactly correct. And then I think that if you look further at things like Tulsa, what we learn is that um, after, you know, Black people from have tried to um, make their own way in this country since that's what that was the ideal, right? We're going to pull ourselves up. And so then you saw these communities really begin to thrive. And at, at certain points, that would be nerve wracking or that would just be really awful to, to the other group and so to the dominant culture. And the dominant culture would seek to shut that down because Tulsa is not a one, you know, a segregated incident. I mean, it happened repeatedly, uh, you know, in the United States. And, and we can point to those. I mean, right there in Florida, you know, there's the burning of a town, Rosewood, um, that disappeared um, kind of in that same fashion. So, you know, we're still working through those things. This is a work in progress. You know, more and more, we're trying to get to that place of total equality because that's then when, you know, as um, Bishop Curry talks about getting to the beloved community, that day is what that, you know, when we finally reach full equality and inclusion is what beloved community will look like. So we're not there yet, but we're on the way. How about you, Rabbi Durbin, especially from a Judaic perspective and someone who's steeped in the Hebrew scripture, uh, knowing the power of God's emancipating love? Uh, are, are we, are we, where are we in that journey? Um, I mean, I, I still think we got a tremendous amount of work to do and to get through. You know, even if we look at, at some of our holidays or festivals, I mean, the most notable being Passover, 
when we remember what it is like to be slaves in Egypt, and now we're free. I mean, at the end of what we call, you know, the, the, the main work or book that we use, the main text being a Haggadah, at the end of the Haggadah on Passover, it says these words, next year in Jerusalem, which actually does not mean that we pack up and we move and we go to, to Jerusalem. It means that um, next year, may all people be free. Now, we've been saying that same line for hundreds, if not for a thousand years, for thousands of years, we've been saying that. So I think in some way, you know, as, as when we say that at the end of a Seder or we say it during Passover, I think it is that that prophetic ideal. We need to work for the day when all people will be free. Are we there yet? No. I mean, we're not even free in our own society. So, you know, what does that mean? I mean, my, my concern isn't so much, you know, for our listeners, those who are avid listeners to it, it's how do I get that message across to, you know, to Moishi or, 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 you know, John on the street who is disengaged, that doesn't care, that doesn't want to know. How do, I, how do I be able to bring that empathy and that understanding that all people in this world deserve the right to be free? Or, or that, 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 yeah, and I think I think right there is is hearing the stories of that because everyone I think a lot of people would agree on that. Absolutely, yeah. I'm a Christian. I'm a Jew. Uh, I believe in the Scripture. All people are created equal. Um, but I think it's how do we get people to hear the stories to say like, oh, but maybe that's not being implemented. Maybe that's not being accepted. Maybe that's not the experience because we have so many friends uh, of our sisters and brothers of of color. We start right there saying that's not what I'm experiencing though. So it's either everyone who's people of color are lying or they're really experiencing an inequality and inequities across our systems that we have here just in the States. And that's a thing that just did that, that the challenges me of being like, so we either say these folks, are, our friends are, are, are lying and just coming up with fibs or trying to play victim, or they're actually telling the truth that they experience daily inequities, uh, microaggressions, if you want to call it, or huge aggressions that's not just a figment of their imagination. Um, and so that, that, how do we tell the story so for people to be like, oh gosh, that's your experience. And there is a difference between being white in America and being a person of color in America. And then Rabbi too, is, is for, for you, we, we've talked about this before on this program, that a lot of times you are in a predominantly Christian uh, a, a, a context. And so does, and, and that's, that. You, you, what is that like? Has it ever been a place where you feel like people are not being aware and sensitive and culturally sensitive and curious enough to want to honor uh, the Judaic? Because again, we're talking about a Judaic history that has a lot of torture and pain. People have to be sensitive to it. Be like, this is not just um, my 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 friend the rabbi. It's my friend the rabbi where there's a history of hate crimes just recently. <laughs> For Jews across the world, let alone the United States of America, um, and so that's where this this white context and a white the white normative view on things sometimes keeps us puts blinders on saying that's not how everyone experiences life here in in, in America. Uh, Reverend Kathy, let's bring this back to you. You are doing fabulous work in in North Carolina. Um, how have you seen, or what are some ways that? Let's just start with you. Your experience of. of is there a way to start these stories for people to hear the stories for us to look at saying, yes, Juneteenth happened, but we still got work to do. It didn't end on Juneteenth. 
That was the seed. That was the, the, the shackles were released, the gates opened. Glory, hallelujah. But there's still great work to do because we have a DNA in our system that is corrupt. And so how, how, what has been the work that you've been doing on to help, help, help with that and the, with the people of God? So I'll, I'll tell you that in just about one second. But I want to say that I think we have to continue to build interpersonal relationships. Yeah. And I think that part of the way in which we say, oh, that's not my experience, is that we don't really personally know people who've had different experiences from mm -hmm. us. Mm -hmm. And as long as we try to live in silos where everybody is just like us, we're going to continue to have these kind of situations Amen. where people don't understand the other because we don't know anybody. Um, and I think even if we think about when we were at our at our time in seminary, we discovered that, which was really sort of surprising and shocking that, you know, that there were people who could say that they had grown up in communities where they never met an African-American person. And so all they knew was whatever the construct had been in their family system, in their, you know, school system, in their television viewing and all of that. And it can sometimes be quite um estranged and it can be and, and it can get to a point of being a little dangerous right so because then they, they don't have that human quality and human understanding of the other it's almost sometimes they're almost like caricatures and so we do have to be very careful about that um so going now to answering your question about uh, the work that i do here um it's great because i think that it uh, it's again about telling the story and telling the stories of congregations across the diocese of North Carolina, from Charlotte all the way east, almost to the um, to the ocean, not, not quite that far. Um, but, um, you know, so so often what you discover is that people really don't know each other. And so we have again, we have these images that have been created in our minds. We're wondering why this group is not doing as well as that group. And the mind has an amazing capacity to fill in what it does not know. Right, so it needs to put a story there. And so stories, um, sometimes very erroneous stories have been created and have been told. Um, one of the most uh, rewarding things I can think of was this year, um, we have an annual event called Absalom Jones Service here in which we commemorate the life of the first African-American priest in the um, Episcopal Church. And um, this year, because we were on Zoom, because we were in COVID time, it gave us a chance to really include people from all across the diocese, where if they had to travel to a, a one central place, we wouldn't get this kind of participation, but we were able to just have um, all of our black congregations in which there are 11 here, tell their history, tell their story. So people could hear it from their perspective, not me telling their story, not somebody else telling, you know, according to the archives and according to the data and the records and all that kind of stuff, not the bishop, but having the people talk about their love for the God, their love for their church, their love for their communities, even though it had been difficult, even though it had been, you know, erected during segregation, even though, you know, they'd had you know, monetary problems, even though they may not have always gotten the support they thought they should have from the from the diocese, from the church uh, itself. So they had to go out and figure out how to make it work, right? How do we survive if we can't even get the same assistance that our brothers and sisters across the street are getting? But we're committed to remaining a force in this community because God planted us here and by God, we're going to stay here. 
They did the work. They did the work, as Rabbi Durbin said. Exactly. I mean, I think that the big advantage we have as people of faith is you believe that the all-powerful God is behind it. You can overcome uh, the sometimes horrific obstacles that that arise. So So Reverend Kathy, right? Make a way out of no way, right? Have you heard that one? No, I do. I got that. And I need a sermon this Sunday. So I think that might be a part of it. You know, it's, it's, it's also interesting, you know, uh, given the context itself, you know, uh, and, and I know we may have used this, this phrase before, but Rabbi Abraham Joshua Heschel back in the 60s and 70s, you know, used this terminology that said, pray as if everything depended upon God, act as if everything depended upon you. And I think that there's something really powerful with that statement that we need to remind ourselves of. No, this is this is this is true. So, Reverend Kathy, when these stories have been told, and for these festive, the 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 recent uh, for Absalom Jones, were there uh, all people? Um, I'll say all people of color because white people are colorful too. Whether um, was, was there all colors represented on the Zoom calls for people to be able to, to hear the stories? Absolutely, yes. And then what was that like? Was what was the feedback like? I, it was very positive. It was really really great because a lot of a lot of the people said, "I never knew that." I'd never heard that story before. They never knew that there was a time even um, when black and white people worshiped together in Episcopal spaces. Um, uh, so they they had no understanding of that. They thought that was something very modern, um, this idea of multicultural church. So this was news to a lot of people, um, you know, and at the same time, it was also news to a lot of people of not having, not ha- being, um, having the same as- accessibility to, to financial resources of white churches and black churches in the diocese. And that's true across the Episcopal church. We know that, right? So mm-hmm. we've just com- just completed doing a racial audit of our own church. Racial audit, stop it. Oh, that's in the Episcopal you, church. I'm gonna hire you here in the Southeast Florida. Tell me more, <laughs> tell me more about this racial audit you speak There's of. Such a thing, because I mean, they went out and they really, um, you know, did research and um, asked for um, input from, I think there were 27 or 29 dioceses across the Episcopal church. And so there is now a report. So we know we have work to do. I mean, it's, it's there in black and white again. Every few years we like to, you know, the, the church is great at collecting data. It's what do we do with that data? But so we have collected this data. You know, how do you feel as a black Episcopalian? How do you feel that you're being supported? How, where is God in the midst of this? You know, do you feel like, um, uh, you know, that all things are equal now? And, and basically the answer to that is no. But so we know that we have work to do. That's right. And so if resoundingly the word is, if the response is no, we have a problem. Like we have a problem. It's not like, you know, Christian, 70% of the people said it was great. 30% of the people said no. It's like, okay, we got some difference of opinions. You're saying resoundingly, excuse me, resoundingly, no, it's still not equal. So we have a problem. And as people of God, we have to really address this an epidemic. And again, either our friends, our sisters and brothers of color are lying or this is an epidemic. This is a problem in the church. This is a problem in our communities. Uh, and uh, we, we're, we're still working. We're still doing the work. To how, how do we get there? But uh, so, so let me ask you, Reverend Kathy, one way we could do that is from the pulpit. And I know Rabbi Durbin preaches uh, tonight. Um, I preach. I found out our, our other uh, pastor unfortunately is under the weather so no i'm going to be preaching so i preach saturday and sunday and i want to do this balance i got father's day i got 
Juneteenth, and you know the lectionary for this for this weekend. I still have to look at it, but um, still, I'm wondering. Uh, get your advice. You're a missioner. You're 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 one of the people I look. Not up a to. missionary, but a missioner. Yeah, yeah, a missioner. Yeah, you're you're up high. You work with the bishop. I'm just one of the low plebeians here. Oh, so give me some advice here. Um, where to? Maybe some thoughts about where can preachers focus on when talking about Juneteenth? Whether it is in a temple, whether it's in a mosque, whether it's in um, the church. What are some ideas? Because we all can agree on the liberating power of God. Um, and so, so where, where might we want to dig around as preachers to be able to inspire um, and challenge uh, our communities? Right. So I think um, part of where we can challenge people is that, you know, that God came to set, is it God came to set the captives free? And so even for um, people of color, we have to um, take care not to remain enslaved in a place and a time when God has set us free. Mm. Otherwise, we, in other words, we have to own our freedom. And so um, that is not always easy because there's always going to be pushback. And there's always going to be somebody saying that you're, yes, you were freed, but you're not quite there. That's how Jim Crow replaced slavery, right? Um, so, but what is it that from, from the captive's point of view? So we've got two areas of work. So from the point of us as the who those of us who were captive, how do we accept our liberation and own our liberation? And I think that as we do that, the the captor does have some fear, does have some fear because they don't know what if that means retaliation, or they don't know if, if that means that we have finally come to to say as we demand our freedom as we live into our freedom, um, how does that um, impact the captor? And then, so what is that to insist now that the captor must also free us from all of the other things, right? From the tyrannies of, um, you know, voter suppression and from, you know, redlining and homes and from this notion that if I didn't go back to work as soon as COVID ended, that's because I'm lazy and I just want to collect the extra $300 in unemployment. And so that somehow makes me wealthy. <laughs> so, um, so what are those things in modern days that still is keeping people, at, you know, still treating people as captives, even though they have been freed? Um, and so we have a lot of that. And so then what is God saying to us in this moment? You know, what is God saying? And if God came to set the captive free, how can we then still insist that people be enslaved? How does that work? What is that reckoning that we must all have of God's liberating love? And we deny God's liberating love to keep our foot on the necks of people who have been set free by God. Hmm. <laughs> yeah and, and and is there a way to do it where because part of me when you say all this i want to ask myself how am i maybe unconsciously joining hands with the captor and maybe i'm not trying to captivate <laughs> maybe i'm not trying to enslave others but are there things that I do either by not standing up for it or by just going on as business as usual, then I'm allowing a system that still continues to push down on others to not have an equal footing. Um, and uh, and that, that's, 
if we can get to a place where we, we speak to each other's hearts, right. where folks can actually look inside of their heart and be like, man, because none of us <laughs> say like, none of them be like, yeah, I'm a racist, you know, no, but, 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 but do we subconsciously in our hearts could might know that we're part of a system that is still not allowing an equal shake for everyone. And what am I doing? Christian Anderson, that is facilitating or allowing that to continue to happen and not standing up or something. And uh, so that, that that's a tougher one. But it doesn't mean I have to sit here and say like, woe is me, I'm a horrible human being. Just like, okay, no, no but this is an opportunity for God to shine. I think in that daily walk with God, part of all of us, part of what we are required to do each and every day is to ask, what am I doing today that is helping my fellow human being? You know, how am I loving my neighbor today? How can I pray for my neighbor today? And mm. what does that really look like? And if I'm really loving my neighbor as myself, um, can I then continue to support systems that keep me separated from my neighbor and keep me separated from the love of God? Because God is very clear about what is required as we love our neighbors. So every day, but this, you know, it's training. It's something that we have to work through every single day. All of us do. We all have to do our work. It's not for one group, it's for all of us to ask in that daily walk with God, how are we doing? And check in, check in with God constantly. Reverend Kathy, this, is, this has been awesome. We wanna hear so much more. So if there, are there places where, where would you direct people either to hear more about, about your work or the work that you're a part of? Where do people go to, to find that? Well, we have a website at the Episcopal Diocese of North Carolina and you will find that um, a podcast coming soon. Um, it hopefully, uh, the pilot, which you were a part of, will be released as a part of the Juneteenth celebration, and that too will be on our website, episdionc.org. So can you say that one more time? Yes, E-P-I-S, like Episcopal, E-P-I-S-D-I-O-N-C.org. Oh, this is fantastic. Uh, and I'm assuming that if anyone wants to do the work out there, whether, listen, the beautiful, the Judeo-Christian uh a connection here is that someone from a temple could reach out to you because as we all have I said a million times on this on this episode on me on the show Jesus was a born a Jew circumcised a Jew and died a Jew um, okay. that we have this just Judaic uh, unity that we have here so someone could reach out to you and say we want to start to do this work how do we do it if Reverend Kathy would that be okay for them to reach out to you absolutely sure I get those calls all the time be happy oh, to talk to everyone you have been just amazing and you came in and you just were just wonderful. So we, we thank you so much. God bless you, sister. And um, really is wonderful. The one thing that I've learned from this is that we all want, we all are created equal except for rabbi's microphone. That is not the equal part of the show, but we are going to rectify that. It's my responsibility to get rabbi Durbin and the, our producer, Evan will also, we are joining forces to make that happen. Uh, okay, we're just having fun here. Reverend Kathy, God bless you. Uh, bless Rabbi you. Durbin, did you write your sermon already? I, uh, I am not working tonight. Who's Ooh. preaching at the temple? Uh, my, my cantorial soloist will lead services tonight. Uh, my wife and two of my kids are in your neck of the woods in Chicago. Mm -hmm. uh, so I got my youngest at home and it's not often that we get to spend Shabbat uh, together um, and uh, uh, kind of in the home. And um, There's no you know. sermon? Uh, no, there is a sermon tonight. Uh, but will be given by my soloist by, uh, by our cantorial soloist. 
Oh, okay, cool. All right. That sounds good. All right. Well, everyone out there, uh, listen, you, you get more of the rabbi over at St. Mary's Episcopal Church as he will be leading a Judaism 101 class starting July 1st, the first three Thursdays of July in uh, at in St. Mary's Episcopal Church here in Stewart, Florida. So please come on over if you want to learn about more about Judaism, uh, especially if you're a Christian, you need to know about the roots since uh, Jesus was a Jew. All right, we got to get out of here. My name is Father Christian. That guy is Rabbi Durbin and the very illustrious, beautiful, well-storied leader of our church, Miss Reverend Kathy Walker. We are saying peace, God bless.